hydrogen is a key component for a decarbonized future in Alberta and the world. On this episode, we talk with David Van Den Essem, Senior Manager with Clean Technology at Alberta Innovates, and Kirk Hamilton, Senior Engineering Advisor with Seifer Technologies, about the opportunities and challenges hydrogen represents for Alberta. We're at the cusp of something big, so grab a cup of coffee as we split atoms. Welcome to Shift. is a really hot topic right now. It seems like every week when I open the news, there's some hydrogen, something going on. So Kirk, why don't you start us off and tell us what's the big deal about hydrogen? Sure. Okay. Thanks, Katie. Um, Hydrogen is being looked at around the world right now as a means to provide energy um, in a decarbonized way. Uh, hydrogen itself isn't a source of energy, but rather a carrier, and we can produce it using renewable energy or uh, with carbon capture techniques. So it is a a way to, again, meet those low-carbon uh, requirements for our future energy needs. And it it's relatively easy to make, uh, and in Alberta in particular, we're, we're quite good at making it. But it doesn't naturally come without carbon, though, right? That's part of the, the conversion process, correct? Well, if we're making it from fossil fuels, correct. Um, So if you are making it from water, from electrolysis, you're splitting the water molecule into its constituents, both hydrogen and oxygen. That does not involve, that does not produce carbon dioxide. However, if we are using methane or other fossil fuels as the, I guess, the feedstock for the hydrogen, yes, you do produce CO2, and we have to capture that. Um, Otherwise, the process is not, uh, you know, low carbon. In fact, it's quite the opposite. It's it's very carbon intensive, and so we need to, again. That's the the carbon capture is a critical element to uh, decarbonized hydrogen production when using fossil fuels as our feedstock. And I'm assuming that in Alberta, that's our primary source of carbon is in those fossil fuels. Of, of hydrogen, yes. No, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Sorry, yes. We don't. I mean, David, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think, I mean, we're 99.9% of the hydrogen we're producing is from methane um, or other fossil fuels. And it is used almost exclusively at this point for industrial purposes, such as refining of our bitumen uh, and uh, fertilizer production and other petrochemical um, processes. Yeah, no, you're right. It is uh it is sourced from methane uh, in this province, and uh, those are currently the main applications for it. So, once we separate the hydrogen out of that, uh, out of the methane or something, what, we then have to sequester the carbon. What do we do with the carbon? So, yeah, carbon can be uh, used to make uh, products, and it can be sequestered in geological formations. And um, there's different technologies out there that'll produce different things. So you can produce carbon dioxide, or you can produce solid carbon. In the case of some technologies, uh, there's a group of technologies called pyrolysis that in particular are of interest because you can generate hydrogen and and solid carbon. So you don't have to worry about sequestering it 
in geological formation. It's a bonus. It's a nice way to mm-hmm. do it. Otherwise, yeah, you can utilize carbon for or carbon dioxide for creating nanofibers, nanomaterials, uh, enhancing the performance of fly ash in, in cement, so make better concrete with it, and a number of other applications that are being explored in the province and, and elsewhere. So it's a pretty exciting time to be in the field. There's lots of activity happening. Yeah, no kidding. So it's kind of, it's like a value add, really. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think, I mean, that that's just it, right? I mean, the challenge with, I guess, carbon dioxide management to this point is that it's not a commodity and it's always been viewed or for the most part, as a waste product. And because of that, companies don't really place a value on it. However, if we do have it as a as a commodity that can be used into something and turned into something that can be used, now we are more incentivized to, to capture it and to use it rather than just let it vent to atmosphere. Um, certainly, the other and, and other levies um, that are coming um, or increasing, at least from the federal level, will provide other financial incentives. But to David's point, I think we have a huge opportunity, not only in the hydrogen space, but also, the, I guess, the the parallel space that is carbon dioxide to do something with this with this molecule because it isn't just a greenhouse gas. It actually has use. Right, right. And you'll have seen some of the successes that came out of the uh, Carbon X Prize, the Cosia Energy Carbon X Prize competition that was hosted at the Alberta Carbon Conversion Technology Center in mm-hmm. the southeast of Calgary um, at the F Shepherd Energy Center. So a lot of great technology was being tested there is now rolling into commercial operations. So uh, so there's there's opportunity there. There's so much opportunity, and I was when I looked at the um, the winners and the results of of that X Prize, I was really shocked to see that there was um, like consumer goods like soap and even vodka as part of um, you know the carbon capture. Um, it's so interesting, and and I had no idea that carbon could be used, you know, for really anything. If we're being honest, <laughs> yeah, it's Let's, a different way of looking at things. Yeah, uh, it's really unique. Yeah, yeah, we're we're really excited about the opportunities. Sorry, Kirk, I'll, I'll let you jump in, but we're excited about the opportunities that uh, that you can use CO two to make something that will then improve the environmental performance and reduce the carbon footprint of the product that is going into. So, cement is a great example of that. Yeah. If you uh, create products out of CO two that enhance the strength. Uh, and and durability of cement and and concrete, then you don't need as much cement or concrete to to do your the same duty as you would earlier. So it's a very intensive process. So if you use if you are able to use less of that material, mm-hmm. then the the carbon footprint decreases dramatically. So things like that are are are, are happening and very exciting. Kurt, right. you were going to say. Yeah, so I think again, it also comes back to you know the reason that you know I see that people don't uh, connect carbon dioxide with sort of utility is because of how it's been portrayed and how we view it. Again, it is seen as a root cause for a lot of the the issues we're seeing with respect to climate change. Uh, and yes, that is. I mean, I'm not going to deny it. carbon dioxide has a direct link to climate change. But it can also be used somewhere else. And, and we have to separate. I mean, carbon dioxide, it's not, it's, it's just a molecule. 
what do you do with it? If we put it in the sky, yeah, it's going to it's going to create a greenhouse. It's, it's a greenhouse gas, and it's going to accelerate uh, mm-hmm. you know, heating of the earth. But if we use it elsewhere, you know, it can it has that utility, um, just like other other um, molecules that we that are you know if if not used properly can be damaging. So. It's just, again not about changing the narrative or denying the narrative. It's just again expanding it and rather saying, look, it's it's not just one thing, but it's it's a, it's a wide range of things. I, I like that. that way of thinking about it. Yeah. yeah, it's a very refreshing way of looking at it. And again, it comes back to that value add. But let's hammer home on uh, uh, just get back to hydrogen specifically here. Now, for my own uh, purposes, and I'm sure many out there, once you have the hydrogen molecule. And you have a bunch of them together. Is this a gas that can be condensed into a liquid, or how does it how does it look? Um, yeah, I so hydrogen, you know, will is a gas. I mean, you can turn it into a liquid, but it, that has to be very, it's very very cold. I mean, ext- and it's a very energy intensive process to get it to that point. We do store hydrogen as a liquid at surface. Uh, you'll see. You know, at certain refineries and whatnot, they have you know these spherical uh, storage tanks for hydrogen, where they super cool it and, and keep it in in those tanks. However, that's again, as I said, very energy intensive. So when we are going to be storing it, we're looking at you know you know and moving it around. It will likely be in a gas form um, because of it's just you know it is. The economics at this point in, in moving it and storing it as a liquid at such magnitudes as in, in terms of the volumes we're looking at as a broad commodity, it just it doesn't make it doesn't make sense at this point. At least from my end, David. I, I mean, do you have more sort of insight on that? There's uh, some providers that are planning on making liquid, and in some circumstances, liquid hydrogen makes a lot of sense. And so there's there's certain applications where where it can have some advantages. But you're right, it, it, it is energy intensive to make it. Uh, working on compressed hydrogen is is what I think a lot of um, a lot of applications will see. So for vehicles, for example, you'll see most likely vehicles will be compressed. Uh, not likely that they'll be using liquid hydrogen. But we'll see. That's uh, part of the technology uh, development process, right? And that's and that's a good point too. I mean, what we're saying right now, I mean, the 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 technology pay, development pace in this area is so rapid that, I mean, what we say this week might be out of date next. I mean, just because there's so many things that are happening, um, and maybe there are step changes in 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 technology that will enable us to to move in areas we previously deemed uneconomic, um, mm-hmm. and that's exciting. So Absolutely. how is hydrogen going to help us get to net zero? So hydrogen is really good at um, providing energy and providing power. So again, I'll use vehicles as an example. Um, in in situations where it's really hard to capture carbon. So if uh, you know you think about driving your vehicle around, um, you're using currently most likely. Um, a gasoline or diesel, and carbon dioxide and other things are emitted out the back uh, of the tailpipe. And capturing that is difficult because you're moving around. And um, with hydrogen, you are centralizing the production of hydrogen, and any carbon that might be emitted can be captured in a centralized manner so that the hydrogen itself doesn't contain any carbon. It's just 
two hydrogen atoms stuck together. And the energy between those two atoms, and when you break that bond, um, is where you get your energy from. And it combines with oxygen that's in the air to form water. So there's no emissions out of the tailpipe of, say, a hydrogen fuel cell electric vehicle. All the emissions are captured at the plant where the hydrogen is produced. So you're able to, to decarbonize some of the more difficult to decarbonize sectors of the economy through using this, uh, this energy carrier mechanism. Now, this isn't the first time I've heard of like hydrogen fuel cells. I seem to remember years ago, there was a company in Vancouver, can't remember the guy's name, but he was talking about hydrogen fuel cells. So why did that not catch on back then? I think this was probably two decades ago, maybe, but now You're it's dating like, yourself, John. <laughs> I'm only 21, but, uh, but now it's, it's, you know, like Katie opened with, this is a hot topic. Thanks for bringing that up, John. Um, so Ballard is the name you're trying to remember, and uh, they have been active in producing fuel cells for, for quite some time. Uh, it turns out most of their uh, fuel cells are going overseas at the moment. So uh, they have a lot of traction with um, different companies in different uh, countries. Uh, India, Europe, um, I think California is certainly uh picking things up. And we're starting to see more traction here as well um, with some of the initiatives that are happening uh, in the West Coast, uh, in, in you know, Quebec and Ontario. We're starting to see more and more um, vehicles come into place um, that are using hydrogen. So, so Ballard's uh, really coming into their own. And I think um, to, to answer the question about where have they been, um, the they have been active and they've been doing great things and we just haven't seen it locally until recently when the conditions are now becoming more suitable for, for hydrogen to, uh, to take off. Um, so yeah, it, it, it it's, okay. it has to do with carbon pricing, with the availability of the technology, with uh, all sorts of things. It's all coming together now. Fascinating. And I know that the federal government, um, I think it wasn't too long ago, maybe in June, they announced um, $2.3 million for a hydrogen fueling station in Edmonton. And that's really targeted at the diesel trucks, like the big diesel trucks, correct? That's right. Yeah, that's part of an emissions reduction Alberta-funded project as well, um, called the Alberta Zero Emissions Truck Electrification Consortium. Or Azatech. Yeah. Oh, we love our acronyms. So uh, that is testing, uh, developing and testing two full hydrogen fuel cell electric heavy duty long distance trucks. And uh, they'll be driving back and forth between Edmonton and Calgary during their test period over the next couple of years, probably maybe late, late next year and into through 2023. And so they need obviously somewhere to fuel. So uh, there's a fueling station being put together right now at uh, uh, one of Sunport's sites. And, um, you know, interesting discussions going on as well about perhaps uh, additional um fueling stations for other projects that are also doing uh, hydrogen fuel cell buses, for example, and a few other things that are uh, looking at you know, Calgary as another location. So that's pretty exciting news, and we're really, fingers crossed, get to see some, uh, some activity happening there, too. Yeah. 
Now, when you think about everything that's going on, uh, you know, and what I mean by that is electric vehicles, uh, hydrogen power coming along, um, virtually, you know, 90% of the population, if not more, having a regular internal combustion engine. How how do you guys see, now this is obviously long term, but how do you guys see this all transitioning? Is it hydrogen going to take over all of that or do you things see things working in tandem how, how does that look again i think we have to bear in mind that hydrogen as an energy carrier is one part of a future energy system and electrification and, and the use of electric vehicles and other energy sources including oil and gas are all going to be part of that future energy mix we are not we're not going away from fossil fuels altogether. Those those are still going to be a critical element of, of the global energy supply. We know that this is, you know, the, the world population is increasing, the world's demand for energy is increasing, and even the uptake of renewables and the scale at which we can produce those, we can't draw down oil and gas that, you know, and meet energy demands at the same time. It just it's a, not possible. So where we see it, where I see it at least, is again, there's that natural expansion of the market where, okay, there are going to be opportunities for hydrogen cell fuel cell vehicles where it makes sense to David's point. Things such as the Azatec program, you know, are going to demonstrate the effectiveness of hydrogen fuel cells for heavy duty hauling. And we're looking at other things such as, you know, train locomotives and and cargo ships where it doesn't make sense to have a, a gigantic battery powered system, like an electric battery um, and perhaps fuel cells are more effective. And as and and two, I mean, there's going to be financial incentives as governments around the world steer the you know societies toward or away from uh, more carbon-intensive energy sources and and or more not just sources but uses such as internal combustion engines. But there's again, we all we can't sort of make blanket statements that yet yeah, it's going to be this or that. I think there's going to be a mix, and I do still think and I still believe that. Internal combustion engines are also going to improve. There's going to be a role for them somewhere. And and again, I can't say what the mix is, Mm -hmm. but it's just, again, we have to look at this as, you know, one of the things we see in the the term transition is, you know, oh, we're moving from one thing to another. But I see it a little differently in that it's we're transitioning to a different mix and the spectrum of energy sources, carriers and uses are changing. And that's how how I view it. I love that. But when I think of transitioning, I don't just think of transitioning from one type of energy to another type of energy. I'm thinking about the infrastructure. How, like in Alberta, um, how are we going to transition our traditional oil and gas sector to a hydrogen sector, if if we are? Um, and is the infrastructure already in place? Can we convert some existing infrastructure? Um, how do like what does that look like? From your guys's perspective, well, I think the, the yeah the the uh, the hydrogen energy sector is a part of the the energy the oil and gas energy sector. I mean, if we're if we're producing hydrogen from methane, I mean, natural gas is one of Alberta's and Western Canada's you know largest commodities, and and we should and we will require a robust natural gas energy sector to make this a success and all of the refining and all the industrial processes that we already have in place. Again, we already produce a very large amount of hydrogen for, for ex- our, our existing processes, about two and a half to three million tons per year. Most of that isn't, ca- you know, with cap- carbon capture, but 
again, as we build out new capacity, such as the Suncor Atco announcement, the air products um, hydrogen facility, we're going to be seeing improvements in that. So, yes, we have that framework there. Now, when it comes from, you know, using it beyond, I guess what you say, the, the fence of the production facilities, yes, that's where a lot of the questions remain. How do we deploy it into the community? How do we deploy it to other locations that may not uh, be co-located with production? And so we're looking at that at CIFR, um quite heavily in terms of, you know, what is the impact of hydrogen on legacy infrastructure, such as transmission pipelines, such as underground storage systems? Because there's a huge un- amount of uncertainty with, you know, in terms of how hydrogen impacts materials. I mean, hydrogen itself is a very, or the, the hydrogen ion is a very challenging, um, I guess, no, it's not a molecule because it's an atom, uh, to work with, it is very dangerous for steel. I mean, because it, it's so small, it can penetrate into the steel and it can change the material response to certain load conditions. And oh. under the right circumstances, we can have a reduced performance requirement um, of those of those materials. So, you know, such as increasing uh, crack propagation under under certain pressure cycling and and fatigue, you know, sort of fracture toughness. What we call like. So again, we have to know. What we're doing before we before we start to introduce uh, hydrogen into these systems, we have to know how they're going to respond, because again, that comes back to well, can we do this safely? And there's no way to mm-hmm. there's, there's no way we're going to succeed in this if we can't do it safely, and and, and and we want to. So there's a lot of questions that have to have to be answered at this point, and a lot of work to be done. So Kirk, this is the work that you're undertaking with CIFR right now. Is- yes, this is part of the work that we're undertaking right now. So. We just launched uh, or announced the launch of a joint industry program. It's a global program. Um, we had a meeting about uh, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, where we had companies from all over the world and pretty much every continent except for Antarctica meeting. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> well, they they will probably need their at their at, at the research stations there. They'll probably need fuel cells, but I'm not sure about pipelines um, yet. Um, but there's a lot of interest around the world and about this. And so basically what we're proposing is looking at what is the impact of hydrogen on the remaining life of legacy assets. And we're focusing right now on the pipelines. I mean, again, there's so many different assets we have to examine, but pipelines are are the big one. And here in Canada in particular, pipelines are a, a very sensitive topic. And we want to make sure that we're we're using these properly. Because that's really, at the end of the day, if we can't move hydrogen from where it's produced to where it's going to be used, it's going to be hard to build a market for that. What I love about that is this whole notion of reduce, reuse, recycle. That comes back to the, uh, you know, just that creating that value add. Now, this work you're doing, how does that inform the work that you're doing, David? Well, we are uh, focused on uh, providing funding and investment in uh, Technology providers that are advancing new solutions to uh, to the market, new innovations. So there's a tremendous need for developing um, better solutions for the new uh, the new way way that things are going to be done. So uh, managing hydrogen, uh, lighter, stronger tanks uh, for mobile applications and stationary applications, better cooling compression systems better um, pipe uh, 
treatment systems, uh, whether that's aligner or coatings or better metallurgy. Uh, there's there's just a lot of work that needs to be done to make sure that uh, the system will roll out safely, effectively, and and at a price that customers uh, you know are happy with. There's lots of work to be done and lots of uh, activity happening. So very exciting. I'm glad you mentioned price, David. Um, I, I always like to ask about the economic benefits to Alberta. Um, so I think according to the hydrogen roadmap document that the provincial government released, they said that by 2050, we can expect hydrogen to be worth $2.5 trillion a year worldwide. How much of that is coming to Alberta? Do you know or can you guess? Well, that same document um, does give us a little bit of an idea of um, what we can expect to see, as well as some of the other studies done by groups like the Transition Accelerator and and others. So, um, you know, we were we were seeing from uh, the Transition Accelerator in particular, uh, you know, a hundred billion dollar market in Canada, and Alberta being such a predominant player in in hydrogen production currently and anticipated in the future, uh, of about $67 billion um, of, of, of um, you know, activity in, in the Alberta market. So that's, that's very exciting. Uh, there's interesting opportunities with export and um, to places like Japan and South Korea, for example, that, that don't have their own resources and they have to import um, so there have been conversations back and forth, and, and uh, those are developing. And using numbers from the U.S. hydrogen economy roadmap sort of extrapolated to the Canadian application, it could be about a $15 billion a year opportunity just with export to those two jurisdictions. So uh, lots, lots happening. Our friends at Cosia have a podcast we want to let you know about. It's called Innovative Minds. It celebrates the fresh perspectives and personalities the next generation of scientists are bringing to clean tech innovation in the oil sands. While highlighting novel technologies, improving environmental performance, discussions focus on the experiences of those involved, revealing the passion behind the science. So check them out today on your favorite podcast provider, Innovative Minds by Cosia. I just echo David's comments. I mean, we're seeing a tremendous amount of, of growth. I was just in Abu Dhabi at Adip, the Adipec conference two weeks ago. Um, and there, I mean, you listen to, I mean, it's again, it's an oil and gas hub. I mean, UAE and Saudi Arabia, I mean, they produce massive amount of oil and gas. But all anybody could talk about at that conference was hydrogen. And the amount of investment in that region going into hydrogen is is equally staggering. I mean, they see the opportunity as well. They see the global growth and demand, you know, the future demand, you know, the same way we do. And it's interesting. It's a very interesting time in the energy, I guess, in the, I guess in the world right now where everybody seems to be glomming onto this idea at virtually the same time. And so everything is sort of happening in unison. Um, and so we are in discussions, you know, when I was there about how do we create these cross-jurisdictional partnerships? How do we create ways? I mean, yes, we're competitors in one way, but we also acknowledge that we we're far enough apart and the market is vast enough that we're going to get there faster through collaboration, through cooperation and 
and you know and help decarbonize the global economy more quickly rather than trying to go at it alone and sort of you know be protect you know sort of have a protectionist attitude over you know how we're going to make hydrogen or how we're going to deploy technologies to mitigate uh, carbon emissions. So we we talked about um, you know the transition between our current infrastructure to hydrogen infrastructure, but one thing that's coming to my mind is talent, and and do we have the people in Alberta currently to help us make this transition? Um, I think so. Uh, I was like two weeks ago. I was at Atapac. Yesterday, I was at the SPE Thermal Well Integrity Design Symposium. Uh, well, yeah, Integrity and Design Symposium. And there, I was on a panel with uh, Suncor and Shell. And both Suncor and Shell, I mean, their talks. I mean, mine was on the hydrogen opportunity. Theirs were again the the theme was sustainability in the oil and gas industry for our, our panel. And much of the talks or, the, or the, the theme of the talk was, again, how do we redeploy or adapt our skill sets as the oil and gas industry into these new areas? And a lot of the skills are very transferable. And certainly, yes, we all need polishing up here and there. And, and, and we are going to evolve in our careers as, as people do. And that's where, again, I come back to this term about transition. And we, we need to look at it not as, you know, you're not transitioning yourself away from your career. You're transitioning yourself through your career and your career, your, your jobs are evolving with, you know, what we need for, you know, for, from the energy industry. And it was interesting to watch the crowd's response be, go from, you know, at first skeptical to then, okay, understanding and embracing the, um, the message that was being uh, being communicated. And David, you know, something that I've also been thinking about too, and I think that you might be in a better position to to answer this. Um, we're talking a lot about how, you know, big organizations, Alberta Innovates, CFER, the provincial government, the federal government, um, how are we going to trans, um, help this, in a, this hydrogen innovation? But what kind of things are we seeing from the small to medium-sized businesses, the entrepreneurs? Are they helping um, with this innovation? Are you seeing anything cool in the market? Well, the, uh, the entrepreneurs and small to small to medium sized businesses are they they know an opportunity when they see it so they yeah. are very excited about uh, all of the activity and all the action happening around hydrogen and CCUS in the province and 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 regionally so yes there's there's a lot of um, a lot of interest and a lot of new ideas coming forward uh, we've been entertaining and supporting lots of uh, technology providers to date and that I that's only going to increase dramatically and so you you've seen recently the um, the province of Alberta has put out its hydrogen roadmap and in it they've described the need for a hydrogen center of excellence where all of these different parties can come together the provide technology providers the service providers the industry academia all of these uh, groups need to work together to help make all this happen. Now, um, we are, we, Alberta Innovate, uh, InnoTech, C for Emissions Reduction Alberta, are in the proposing stages of developing that, that 
uh, hydrogen center of excellence. So you, you heard it here first. Very exciting. Yes. That is so exciting. Um, Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Well, we'll we'll see we'll see how it goes. There's uh, like I said, we're in the proposal and planning stages, so lots can happen still. But uh, we're very excited about the opportunity, and uh, think that it would be you know a tremendous way to uh, put Alberta on the global map for uh, being a, a hydrogen hub regionally and geographically. Now that that leads me to an interesting question. When I think about Kirk's comment that he was at the uh, in the UAE, what is the perception of Canada globally and uh, perhaps Alberta specifically in terms of hydrogen? Are we looked at as we're movers and shakers in this field? Um, in certain circles, yes. Uh, I mean, the UAE is half a world away, and they're gigantic. Alberta is certainly known for for certain things, um, and Canada is 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 you know a known energy provider. But I think too, I mean, we need Canada needs has a tremendous opportunity here, and we need to move quickly on it because, as I said, I mean the rest of the world is also moving in this, and so the perception is okay. Yeah, Canada, you're there, we see you, um, but we also you know we you know look we missed i think you know this is me speaking personally i think we you know we as a country missed an opportunity with lng and and you speak to the energy industry and they will acknowledge that yes canada because we we didn't react fast enough and we we sort of blinked at the moment when others jumped in uh we missed on lng which is you know a it was a huge would have been a huge economic boost to our our gdp and we don't want to do the same with hydrogen and so the rest of the world, yes, they see, okay, Canada has these resources, but they also see Canada as, you know, I wouldn't say not aggressive, but certainly a little more conservative than than other regions are, are right now. I mean, Australia is already shipping hydrogen to, to Asian jurisdictions, such as Japan. I mean, they're moving. Um, and that's why, again, we, we need to move. And I think we can, I guess the... On the you know I said okay conserve you know Canada's per- the perception of Canada is that we're conservative. On the other hand, we have the framework from our you know regulatory uh, perspective here in Alberta to be very progressive and very active in this front, and we have the framework from a standards perspective CSA and others uh, to you know regulate how we you know move and produce and store hydrogen. Again, we're moving faster than many jurisdictions, and we're actually hosting delegations from all over the world. Even in the next couple of weeks, I've got one coming tomorrow, we've got another next week, from other regions around the world that have already have told us their governments can't move fast enough. And so they want to look at investing in Alberta and looking and investing in projects here where they can learn about how to introduce hydrogen into their infrastructure, because the same information that we need they also need. So it is a bit of a, yeah, on one hand, yes, we're seen as conservative, but on, in other ways, we're seen as quite active in it. So, so Kirk, if you were to, to ask the universe, <laughs> wave your magic wand for what do you need? Like, what are you, what do you need from our government? What do you need from the ecosystem and industry to make this happen for Alberta? Well, I think the key is government alignment at all levels and in all jurisdictions. Right now, we see hydrogen as an opportunity. I mean, we see opportunity from a federal level, we see it from a jurisdictional level. And I think if the all the provinces were aligned in that, hey, you know what, we have to work together on this, and we don't have to worry about where it's coming, you know, 
who does what and where and what part, what piece of the pie is mine. We need to focus on getting hydrogen to the markets that need it, first and foremost. And that's going to be working in with governments, with First Nations groups, with other jurisdictions outside of the province, and getting all that that stakeholder engagement so that we're all bought in. Because if we all believe in that in the why, why we're doing this and why we're producing hydrogen, why we're exporting it, the how and the what sort of fall into place. And if we can do that sooner, so I guess my question to the universe would be, can you help me or can you help us make sure that everybody is on the same page and 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 going in the same direction? If David, would that, you I think we can we can move forward. David, would you add to that? I I fully agree with what Kirk has said. Um, we absolutely have to be uh, all pulling in the same direction if we want this to happen and uh, happen at a pace that it needs to happen at. So, um, yes, uh, bold underscore highlighted. Um, <laughs> on, the, on the how, uh, you know, I think there's, there's still a number of um, challenges that we need to overcome with um, building out the infrastructure from an upstream uh, perspective, as Kirk had mentioned, but also the downstream retail sector mm-hmm. and end users, uh, you know, fleet transitions. To, to hydrogen, and, you know, and battery electric for that matter, but but uh, hydrogen uh, where it's applicable, and all of that takes a lot of effort. And uh, so I think that the you know, various different um, programs uh, we see in other jurisdictions that are supporting that, you know, I think having those uh, uh, having those harmonized uh, makes a lot of sense. And uh, and then just rolling up our sleeves and doing the technology de-risking to uh, to get that next generation of stuff out there that is more cost effective, is better quality, is more durable, is uh, doing all the things that we need it to do, mm-hmm. so that we can continue to compete. And I just on that competition side, it's just a brief note um, that we are in a position through our in existing infrastructure, technology, and expertise. Uh, we're producing some of the least expensive hydrogen on the globe, in the plant, like in the oh, world. I didn't know that. And yeah, it's um, we are for low carbon uh, fossil fuel generated hydrogen. We are you know second in to Russia in the world for producing the least cost hydrogen, and uh, for producing hydrogen through electrolysis, our you know our friends um, east and west of us. Who have access to abundant, um, you know, uh, uh, low carbon electricity sources can can produce some of the least expensive um, electrolysis source hydrogen in the world. So we are in a fantastic position as a country, and each region is in a fantastic position individually. So imagine what we could do collectively. So. Sorry, you made a comment about, you know, we produce the second, you know, least expensive hydrogen, decarbonized hydrogen. Why is that? Because we have access to the resource uh, that we can extract very cost effectively. We have the infrastructure. We know how to do it. We have the expertise. We have the refining capabilities. Uh, we, We have it all, and it exists. So using it to leapfrog us into the next uh, phase of our energy system is 
uh, puts us at a significant advantage over other areas. The, the, the resource is inexpensive to begin with, so uh, for us. Mm-hmm. So, so it's, it's a natural fit for us. So it seems like we're halfway there, right? Like we've got carbon sequestration like almost locked down, and it's really cheap to create here. Guys, like we're halfway there. Exactly. It's uh, we are on the cusp here of being able to just take take a hold uh, of of the market, grab it, and and run with it. Um, again, it's it's making sure all the horses are hitched up and running in the same direction. So, in terms of the market, is that that's where everybody's working together across the country, and we can get product to market easier, or is it? Uh, well, I mean, what's the big challenge there? I mean, the, the challenge will be to make sure that the market is, you know, the market or the demand, you know, the market demand, there we go, is sufficient, right? I mean, we have these broad and bold goals to, you know, to produce massive amounts of hydrogen. Again, we're looking at, you know, 20 million tons by 2050, you know, per year and for across the country. I mean, that's a lot of hydrogen. Um we need to make sure again that that is how you know, where is that going? I mean, we're not just going to produce hydrogen because we can do it cheaply, and because we're good at making it. It's right. where are we using it? And so it is about again building up that demand. And as a consumer side, from so if I'm if I'm switching hats from okay the you know person sort of advising on the technology side, but as a as a user of hydrogen, how am I going to, you know, or adapt? So, you know, like I'm looking at my home, okay, well, you know, I've got to go from a natural gas to a hydrogen burning furnace or water heater or, you know, those kind of, you know, embracing that kind of change and certainly being, you know, there's going to be rebate programs and whatnot as we, as the market adapts to sort of absorb some of these these costs of, you know, of adaptation. Um, that's really going to be fundamental without the market. I mean, this is all just a thought exercise. Guys, this is absolutely fascinating. I think there's a zillion ways we can go with it. Um, the messages here, though, are we got the feedstock, we've got the infrastructure, we've got the skill and the talent. Let's align everybody and move forward on this, and let's continue to uh, create an environment and create the knowledge uh, for people to understand that uh, you know this is a product that that is is feasible. And can be affordable, uh, but everybody again needs to be aligned. Well said, John. Yes. <laughs> Any final words? Us. Yeah. Any final words for wrapping up here, David? Uh, I think exciting times are ahead. 2022 is going to be a pivotal year for um, Alberta in particular, but uh, for the sector as a whole across the country and uh, and around the world, it's going to be an exciting time. So uh, looking forward to being able to give you some really interesting updates and follow-up uh, podcasts in the, in the near future. I would Absolutely. love that. Yeah. Kirk? No, I, I, I echo David's comments. I mean, the, the, the amount of energy and interest in this space is, is – I've never seen anything like it in my 20 years of working at CFER and it's it's uh, it we seem well poised and well timed in this in this hydrogen endeavor as a province and and I think again it sees that opportunity. I mean Alberta was built on that ingenuity, built on the sort of pioneering spirit and how do we move forward? And I think, you know, again, look what we did with oil sands where we took a a resource that the rest of the world was sort of deemed, I guess, worthless and we turned it into this 
massive economic driver for the country. If we take that mindset, that know-how, you know, just think of what we can do as a province in terms of how that applies to hydrogen. I mean, this is a tremendous opportunity in front of us, and I think we, we're, we're going to take advantage of it. Shift can be found online at shift.albertainnovates.ca or email us at shift at albertainnovates.ca. On behalf of everyone here, I'm John. Until next time, have a great day.